Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. When was the last time you went to a party? When was the last time you went to a party where they had really good food? I mean, I'm talking chips. I'm talking dip, salsa, and they even have meat, you know, like steak, hot wings. When was the last time you went to a party because you had something to celebrate? Now, unfortunately, Christians, we're not known for being the partying kind. We're known for being rather straight-laced and not doing a lot of celebrating. But when you put your finger in the text of Scripture, what you find is that Christians should be known for partying more, not partying less. Christians should be known as people who celebrate God's goodness. This morning, we're going to find out why. And if you are new, I'd like to welcome you. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Crosswinds. And uh, in the five weeks leading up to Christmas, we're in this small Advent series. And this Advent series, we're doing it from a little-known Old Testament book, the book of Leviticus. The series is called Christmas from Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is often ignored because it has all these Old Testament rules and, and regulations for worship that seem so irrelevant to us today. But as we've been learning in this series, the book of Leviticus actually isn't as irrelevant as it seems. What we're doing is the first seven chapters of this book detail out um, five different offerings that the ancient Israelites were to give. And what we find is each one of these five offerings tell us about a different aspect of our relationship with God. And each one of these five offerings point to Jesus and part of what He came to do when He came at Christmas. Now, because in the last two weeks with the holidays and Thanksgiving, not everybody was here, and because the interrelationship between these offerings is so important to understand, let me begin by briefly giving you an overview of what these five offerings are and what these five offerings do. We'll talk about the first two that we've already covered, and I'll briefly forecast the next two that we'll cover in the next two weeks. So if you have your outlines out, take them, and let me just give you the overview of the offerings. The first one we covered two weeks ago was the burnt offering, and this offering is called atonement for sin. Now, atonement literally means at one meant. It means to bring two parties that have been separated back together. And the way this offering worked was the worshiper took a bull or a lamb, a sheep or a goat, or if you're really poor, they brought pigeons. And what they did with the four-footed version of this offering is the worshiper brought their bull into the tabernacle and they put their hands on the head of the animal and they confessed their sin. So the animal identified with their sinfulness and then they slit the throat on the bull. 
And as it bled out and died, the priest caught the blood in a bowl. And the blood he took and he splattered on the side of the altar as a way of saying that the death of this animal covered uh, this person's sin. This animal died in this person's place for their sin. And the worshiper then butchered up the entire animal. And the priest put all of it on the altar. The entire bull was a burnt offering. Sometimes it was called a whole burnt offering. And this is the way that the worshiper said, I've given myself completely to you, God. And what this offering did is it temporarily covered sin. That's why it was done again and again. It never got rid of sin. But see, we saw this pointed forward to Jesus because Jesus, what did He come to do? He didn't come to cover sin. He came to pay for sin. He doesn't have to be dying repeatedly. He died once for all. So the Old Testament burnt offering pointed forward to Jesus and what He came to do. Last week, we looked at Leviticus chapter 2, which was the grain offering, which was when the worshipers gave a part of their daily bread to God as a way of saying, thank you, God, for sustaining my life. Thank you for sustaining my needs. And it also, but incidentally, this is the way that the uh, priests had their daily needs met because when the worshiper brought some of the fine flour with, mixed with oil and frankincense or some of the fine flour without frankincense that was breaked into breads, part of that went on the altar to thank God, but the rest of it went into the mouth of the priests to provide their daily bread. And it all points forward to Jesus, who is the bread of life, isn't He? He's the one who sustains our spiritual life every day. Now, in the next two weeks, we're going to look at what are called the sin offering and the guilt offering. What happens when you that's number four and five. What happens when you sin against God and you, there's a break in the relationship between the two of you? The sin offering will tell us how that is restored. What happens when you sin against somebody else and there's a break in a relationship not just between you and God, but you and somebody else? How does that get restored? That's the guilt offering. But today we're looking right smack in the middle. We're looking at what is called the peace offering or other translations call it the fellowship offering. What is that all about? Well, let's go ahead and look at this. What is the purpose of the peace or the fellowship offering? Now, most literally, if you want to translate this out of the Hebrew, it's very clearly called the peace offering. But sometimes they don't use that term because the peace offering doesn't always, when I say that, it doesn't communicate to you what it's actually for. For instance, when I say, have you offered a peace offering to somebody, this is what you think. You think of a husband that for it was, he forgot it was his anniversary. And his wife knows it. And she's hot. She's angry. So to avert his wife's wrath, on the way home he stops at the florist, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You've done this. I can see the look on your face, right? You buy her a dozen roses, so when you walk in the door to your wife who is angry because you forgot your anniversary, you have a peace offering, hoping to avert her wrath. That is not what this means. 
This is not an offering given to get God's favor. It's an offering given to celebrate that you have God's favor. Let me say this again. It's not an offering given to get God's favor. It's an offering given to celebrate that you have God's favor. A couple other things you need to know about this. Uh, Number two, it is a voluntary offering or an optional offering. You don't have to do this. You did it if you, if you wanted to do this. Uh, for instance, you'll see that the offering, you could bring a cow or a bull. You'll see in a moment we can bring a sheep or a goat, but it doesn't allow the poor to bring pigeons or doves. And you'll see why in a moment. So even though the poor can't offer it, that's okay. Number three, this is what I call the party offering. You guys like parties? This is literally what it is. When you offer this animal to God, it's a way of celebrating God's goodness. What happens is you're going to get all the meat of the bull or the cow back. And you know what you're going to do? Eat it with your friends, your family, and anybody else you happen to want to you are going to have a big party. This is why sometimes it's called the fellowship offering because you offer it and not all of the animal goes on the altar. Only part of the animal does. You get all the meat back and you, uh, outside of the temple, you eat the meat with your family and friends while God is burning the other part of the animal inside the temple, and you're eating, so to speak, you're having a meal together with God and your friends to celebrate. Number four, you need to know about this. This offering is usually offered in association as as thankfulness for a specific blessing that God has brought into your life. It's usually offered for thankfulness to, to God for a specific blessing He brought into your life. doesn't have to be, but it usually is done that way. Let me just go ahead and we're going to walk through. There are uh, three versions of this offering. There is how it is offered in a cow or a bull, then it's how it's offered for a lamb, and then it's how it's offered for a goat. I'm going to walk through the first two and we'll explain it. The first one is this. How did they celebrate the all-beef party? And that is what it is, an all-beef party. Beginning in Leviticus chapter 3, reading the first five verses. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering, and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys." Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What you need to understand is this is, in essence, a massive 
party with your friends. It is an all-you-can-eat steak buffet. Which means that every red-blooded male will definitely come to the tabernacle on that day. True? And most red-blooded females. Uh, that now we're talking here. Yeah, this is going to be a whopper of a party. It's, you're going to get a lot of food to eat. Now, there's a couple things you need to notice. We'll walk through the text. First of all, you see it's very similar to the burnt offering we studied two weeks ago in Leviticus 1, but there are some differences. Like the burnt offering had to be a bull. It had to be a male that was offered, but this one could be a cow or a bull. Why the difference? We learned the burnt offering pointed forward to Christ and prefigured Christ. Okay, firm grasp of the obvious. Was Christ a male or a female? A male. Thus, the burnt offering was a bull. You know what the purpose of this offering is? Food. A big meal. It can be a male or a female. I went online to check this out, by the way. Apparently, there is a slight difference in the taste of a bull meat versus a cow meat, but it is very slight. They eat the same, right? Nobody has any complaints. And so this is what this is. This is a food offering. And you're going to get a lot of meat, so it could be a cow or a bull. And the next thing, it has to be without blemish. That is essential. We have learned this. Every single offering you give to God it has to be perfect. So you can't like give the gimpy leg cow, and you can't give the cow covered with warts, because when you give like imperfect offerings to God, it's a statement of your lack of love to God. Say, God, I'm going to give you what I don't want, what I wouldn't give to my governor, as it says in Malachi, or what I wouldn't serve to my family and friends. I'll give it to you. That's a way of saying, God, you mean nothing to me. But because God means everything, He gets the best. That's why He got the unblemished bull and the burnt offering. That's why last week when we studied the grain offering, remember how it, the grain offering was to be made of fine flour, only made, which comes from only the inner kernels of the wheat, which then had to be ground with a lot of hard work because God deserved the best bread? Here it's the same thing. God deserves the best cow. Then from there, it, it looks very similar to the burnt offering. The offerer put his head or hand on the head of the animal to identify with it, though we don't have any extra biblical evidence that he actually confessed his sin on the animal. And then the animal's throat was slit, the blood was caught, the blood was thrown on the side of the altar as a way of offering the life of this animal up to God. And then the offerer went back to the butchering, and he cuts the animal up. Now, in the burnt offering, the entire animal went on the altar, but here, what he does is he gives the fat, the liver, and the kidneys to God, and he keeps the rest for the party with his family, friends, and relatives. Now, the question quickly becomes, why does God get the fat? Well, you need to understand that uh, it's not because God was concerned that they would have heart disease. Fat is what makes the meat taste good. Fat was considered a delicacy. 
In fact, by giving God the fat portions of the animal, it was a way of saying, God, I'm giving you the best portion of this animal. Because remember, God gets first, God gets best, because God deserve, deserves what's best, so God gets the fat. Now, the next question becomes, well, then why does God get the liver and kidneys? That's sort of weird. That seems like an insult. You need to understand the way the ancient world worked. The seat of emotions, they believed, was right here in this area of the body. We believe the seat of emotions is slightly more north, right here. It's called our heart. What do we say? I love you with all of my heart. The way they said this in the ancient world was, I love you with all of my kidneys. That, I know that doesn't sound romantic, but th that's the way they did that, because that was the seat of emotion. So when God was given the liver and the kidneys, it was them saying, God, I love you with all of my kidneys. I love you with all of my heart. I'm giving you what's best and tasty, the fat, plus I'm giving you the seat of emotions of the animal, my heart, the kidneys. So what you have is the priest took the fat, took the kidneys, took the liver, and he brought it and he put it up on the altar. And we learned this back in Leviticus chapter 1. The fire on the altar it was a special fire. Nobody had ever lit this with a match. God was the one who lit it himself when fire shot out of the, ta the tabernacle at the very beginning after the whole thing was set up. So it was God's fire that consumed the kidneys and the fat, and God was eating the meal. But just outside of the tabernacle was the worshiper with all of the meat, with his family and his friends, and they ate the meat, and they had the meal. So God and his people are eating, and they're celebrating together. Isn't this a pretty cool offering? Now, by the way, who were the required invites on the guest list? Now, this is one of my favorite parts. Required invites on the guest list for this offering were the priests. I got to like that. Now, you don't see this directly in Leviticus 3, but Leviticus 7, which offers commentary on this offering, talks about the priests being required on the guest list. If you're going to have a party, you have to invite them. I'll go ahead and read that. The priests shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution for the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for his portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. So, what you had is after the guy killed his, his cow and he butchered it up, he didn't just give the fat and the kidney and the liver to the priest to be offered on the altar, but he also gave the breast meat and the right thigh. And this is what happened. The breast meat was for, to be for food for all of the priests, 
the right thigh was to be for food for the priest specifically who had served you by taking the blood and throwing it on the side of the altar for you. Um, there were some interesting things you can see here. That it was a wave offering. And by the way, you read the Talmud who describes this. This is what would happen when you brought the breast meat. It was in your hands like this, and the priest would take and put his hands under yours and wave it back and forth as a way of saying they're offering it to the altar but yet receiving it back from God. And then he received it. And then they, you gave them the right thigh meat, and the right thigh was brought up, and you held it in your hands, and the priest put his hands under it. Instead of going back and forth, they went... Up and down is a way of saying it's given to God and yet received from God. It's a way of saying thank you. Now, let me just put a shameless plug in here for the staff because you can see the obvious implication we're going to get to by the end of this message is that just as this offering took place in the Old Testament where God's people were to celebrate God's goodness in their life... <laughs> It's obvious that we, as the New Testament counterpart, should also be celebrating God's goodness in our life, and we should also be throwing parties. And by the way, that means that your pastors should get an invite. And I'm putting up a request for the meat off the right thigh, by the way. So, by the way, if you happen to invite us and we're there and you see us in the back of the room doing this with a hamburger... You know, it's just us going Old Testament and being thankful for the meal. Thank, so, that's what's going on here. Next thing. How did they celebrate the mutton and Shivan party? Now, you're going, what is that? Well, mutton is lamb meat. You guys know what Shivan is? Goat meat. So, how did they celebrate it? Well, it's identical to the way they celebrated the beef offering except the one for the, the sheep is slightly different. So let me show you this. We're going to have some fun with this. So I hope you guys are, have some fun on this. Um, let's look at this. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish as he offers a lamb for his offering. He shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. And he shall remove the whole fat tail cut off close to the backbone." And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver, he shall remove with the kidneys and the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. Identical to the way you offer the beef one except for this one thing that I couldn't figure out. The fat tail. And I'm thinking to myself, now I'm a city boy. You know, I'm sort of a transplant in this Iowa place. I don't know much about sheep, but most of the sheep I have seen don't have a fat tail. In fact, it's this little tiny thing. I'm like, why would you throw this in? So I did some research. Apparently, there is a breed of sheep where the fat automatically gathers in their tail. 
Go ahead and put it up there, Jeremy. There it is. Okay, now you ladies who say, you know, a moment on the lips equals a lifetime on the hips, this is your animal right here. Because that's exactly what happens to that sheep. The more they eat, the more it goes to just one place. And I even asked uh, Pastor Dave about it, and Dave's our local veterinarian. I'm like, Dave, what is going on with this thing? He says, I don't know, but I think it's a little bit like a camel has a hump. You know, it's like the hump has just gone down the back a little further. And that's where it deposits fat. So the idea is God gets, thanks again, Jeremy, God gets all the fat. So God gets all the tail. Same thing. And I thought you would find that one humorous. I certainly did. But now that we understand this fellowship offering, and now that we understand what it's offered for and what the purpose of it is, it really helps us make sense when we read our Old Testament, doesn't it? When you read about fellowship offerings being offered, it was God's people partying. It was God's people celebrating His celebrating God's goodness in their life and thankful for what God had done by giving him part of the animal and then eating the rest. In fact, you find that fellowship offerings could be a corporate celebration. Let's look at some of these things. For instance, whenever a priest was ordained, they had a party and they offered fellowship offerings, which means they had a big party after the, afterwards to celebrate it. At the Feast of Harvest, they always had a fellowship offering offered at the feast. We had a great fall. We had a lot of grain that was gathered. That's something we need to celebrate. Let's offer fellowship offerings. Let's have a party. Let's get together and eat an animal. You find that when Israel was at Mount Sinai and they had been given God's laws and they were now identified as God's people and the object of His affections, what did they do? Offered fellowship offerings, which means they did what? Had a party and celebrated God's goodness. When Israel uh, finally crossed the Jordan and entered the promised land, what do you think they offered? Fellowship offerings. They had a party. Like, we have been going in circles for 40 years. We're done with this. We're finally here. Let's celebrate and have a party with God. When Saul was anointed king, what do you think went on with his coronation? Fellowship offerings. They slaughtered animals. God had the liver. He had the kidneys. He had the fat. The rest of the people ate the meat. And you want to see like the major fellowship offering of the Old Testament? Solomon, when he was anointed king, how big do you think he made it? 142,000 animals slaughtered in fellowship offering. The nation partied for two weeks' worth of meat. That's a big party. But that's what this is. But the fellowship offering in Leviticus chapter 3 is not talking about a corporate celebration with massive numbers of animals. It's talking about a personal celebration where God has blessed you in your life, and you respond by thanking Him and worshiping Him and having a party with your friends by offering a fellowship offering. Now, 
it doesn't say in Leviticus 3 what would be reasons that you would offer us, because it's optional, but it does say reasons in Leviticus 7. I'm not going to take the time to read Leviticus 7 because it's a very long and detailed passage, but I am going to take the time to summarize it. Why would you offer a fellowship offering and have a party on an individual basis? And here they are some reasons. From Leviticus 7, 11 through 15, an unexpected blessing from God. You ever have one of those in your life? Like maybe uh, you had an incredible business year that you did not expect, and you want to credit God with the blessing. You want to acknowledge God as the one who gave you the blessing. So you offered a fellowship offering, and you had a party with your family, friends, and employees. Or another one would be, maybe your son has been lost, and your son has returned home. It was an unexpected blessing, and the relationship is restored. How do you thank God? You offer a fellowship offering, and you have a party with your son, with your family, and all kinds of people get invited to celebrate with you. Anytime God had an unexpected blessing in your life, the way you thanked Him was by offering one of these offerings, a cow, a sheep, or a goat. Depends on the size of your party and your budget. That's what you did, and you invited people. Here's another one. It's from Leviticus chapter 7, 16 through 18. Whenever you've made a vow to God, or what I would call uh, answered prayer from God. Now, the idea of a vow here is very different to, than our thinking patterns. So I like to just call this an answered prayer from God. Uh, for instance, maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer, and you have uh, prayed to God consistently. You and your family and friends have prayed and asked God to bring you healing and strength from your cancer, and the, the prognosis did not look good. But God in His grace and through using the doctors, has brought you healing. And at the one-year anniversary of your clean bill of health, how would you respond? You'd have a party. You'd offer a fellowship offering. Invite your family and friends and celebrate God's goodness. That's exactly what you'd do. In response to a gracious answer to your prayer. Maybe you've been looking for work. You've been out of work for a long period of time, and you've been on your knees, fasting and praying, asking God to come to your rescue. And all of a sudden, this job comes out of no place. <laughs> and you find yourself hired, and you're blessed beyond your wildest dreams. How do you respond? You offer to God a fellowship offering, giving Him part of the animal, and you take the rest for your family and friends, and you celebrate. You celebrate God's goodness. Remember, we're supposed to be known as the partying crowd. Last one is called the general uh, thankfulness for goodness. And sometimes it's called the free will fellowship offering. You know, I can't think of anything specific right now. I don't have any specific answered prayers. I don't have any unexpected blessings. But you know, God is just so good. He's been so good to me and so good to our family. We're going to offer this and just celebrate. That's what it is. Now, I want you to realize this. We talked about this earlier. We noticed there is no way the poor could offer this offering. Because if all they could afford was some pigeons or turtle doves, I mean, how do you offer one of these in thankfulness to God? Well, here's the thing you need to know. You could never offer pigeons and turtle doves for a fellowship offering because you know how much meat you get out of one of those things? 
my son Daniel has gone out dove hunting, and he comes back, and after he gets them down, he's got like chicken nuggets. That's about all he's got. You're not going to have a party with a chicken nugget. It's just not going to happen. The other thing to know is that when you do one of these offerings, how much meat do you think you end up with when you slaughter a bull or a cow? Hundreds and hundreds of pounds of meat. So, you're going to have to invite a lot of people to eat it with you, right? And you're going to invite your family and your friends. And because you're celebrating God's goodness, you are going to invite the poor, people who could use a free meal, people who would be blessed by this. So even though the poor can't offer this, they are blessed by this because they're blessed by people who would offer it in the tabernacle. Now, just to show you how this gets guaranteed, I want you to realize that God did not allow doggy bags in this offering. It's very clear in Scripture. Leviticus 7, 15 through 17, And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be um, eaten on the day of his offering. And he shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offerings is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day he shall burn up with fire. No doggy bags. So you have one to two days to eat the meat of an entire cow. Which means if you are going to do that, you have to invite a lot of people to the party to eat with you. I don't know if this is true because I'm, once again, a city boy, so I just check out wiki answers. I asked, like, how much meat um, can you, how many people can you feed off of one cow? And an answer that came back was, if you take an average-sized cow and feed people eight ounces of hamburger from it, you can feed 1,400 people. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, probably want full-pound patties, not half-pound patties. So let's go 700 people. The idea is you're going to have to invite a lot of people to celebrate with you. Now, did the New Testament church celebrate a fellowship offering? We have seen that these Old Testament offerings carry forward into the New Testament times many times. Like, remember the burnt offering? It comes right forward because it just points to Jesus and what He came to do. The grain offering, we looked at last week, it points forward to the communion bread. When Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. And, and I, we didn't go over it last week, but the drink offering in the Old Testament, it points forward to and is carried forward into the cup of communion wine. Well, how does this fellowship offering, this party that people would have to celebrate God's goodness in their life, carry forward to us today? Does it? Actually, it does. And a little known New Testament thing. You guys ever heard of the love feast? It's hinted at a number of times in Scripture, and you find it uh, in the writings of early church fathers, that what the New Testament church would often do, they would gather for a meal. 
they'd have a meal together. And it wasn't a small meal. It was a feast. That's why it was called a love feast. And at the end of the love feast is typically when they celebrated communion together. Let me show you where these things are hinted at. For instance, in Jude 12, we read, these are hidden reefs of your these are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted we don't need all the other details in this verse other than to point out there's this thing called love feasts that the new testament church observed paul in Corinthians, when he talks to the church about the way they celebrated communion, he actually chastises the church in the verses around communion about how they celebrated the love feast. Here's what was happening. In the church of Corinth, remember the love feast goes right before communion? It's essentially a church potluck is what it is. What would happen is people would go to the gym and there would be the rich people, and they would have this really cool picnic basket with all this fancy food in it for their family. And then there'd be some other guys in the corner who'd bring a six-pack, and they'd drink and get drunk. In another corner, you've got people who don't have any money because they're dirt poor, and all they have is the complimentary toothpick from the church. And people weren't sharing. So Paul chastises them. Look what he says. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. While one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. You're supposed to be sharing your food and blessing one another. It's celebrating God's love for you and loving others. In fact, he comes along just a little later and he says this, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if you look at the footnote, the word wait for literally means share with one another. Don't be sitting in your corner and, and like leaving the poor people hungry. Share with one another in your love feast. So here's the Old Testament fellowship offerings. God has blessed us in a specific way, or even if He hasn't been a specific way, I want to celebrate it by offering a bull, and I'm going to, God's fire is going to eat part of it. My family and friends are going to eat the rest of it. And you know what? The poor, the poor are going to be invited, and they're going to get blessed by a meal. New Testament, love feast. You know what? I have been so blessed by God. God has loved us to send His Son, Jesus, and I want to love others. Let's have a feast together. And the poor, the poor are going to be blessed by it in the same way because if they have nothing, what happens is the rich share their food. That's the way it's supposed to be. Bring it all the way forward to our day and our time. You guys notice that we have these after-church meals once a month? You know, we go down there, and it's a free will offering which means you don't have to pay anything by it. So if you're poor, you can afford to go there. If you're rich, you can give generously. And that helps to pay for the food. And who often provides the meat? We do. Do you see how this goes? 
And like after church, when after we have those potlucks, you know, I'll talk to people in the hall and I'll say, hey, do you want to come down and have a meal with us? And they're like, oh no, I got to go. Church is over with. I'm like, no, church is not over with. That's only part two of church. We're having our love feast where we're celebrating God's goodness and we're loving one another, having a meal together, just like the New Testament church, just like the Old Testament fellowship offerings. You see how it all comes together? One last thing. Here we go. The fellowship offering teaches us to remember God's goodness and to celebrate God's blessings. Teaches us to remember God's goodness and to celebrate God's blessings. See, as New Testament Christians, we have so many reasons to celebrate God's goodness. We don't offer a burnt offering to try and cover our sin temporarily. We have Jesus who paid for our sin once and for all. We have so many reasons to be filled with thankfulness. We, as God's people, should be celebrating all that God has done. So what do we do? There's a baptism in your family. Celebrate. Have a party. Invite your family and friends. You're a young parent. Your child is dedicated on a Sunday morning. The proper response is to do what? Go home and have a party. Invite your family and friends. You retire. What should you do? Just try and sweep it under the rug and, and, and not do anything? When you retire, you should have a party celebrating God's goodness in your life. Let your wife or your husband throw it for you because it's improper not to respond by celebrating God's goodness. Graduation. Your son graduates from high school. Your daughter graduates from college. What should we do? Celebrate God's goodness. You have a great harvest because you're a farmer. What should you do? Celebrate because God is the one who gave you the harvest. Celebrate His goodness. You've been praying and praying that God would bring you healing. God would bring you strength. And God answers your prayer and gives you life and strength and breath and restores vitality to you. What should we do? Party. Celebrate God's goodness. But maybe the best thing to party of all is what we're about to celebrate. Christmas. You know, we're about to celebrate the greatest gift that's ever been given. We're about to celebrate something that is so important and so good that it divides history in half, B.C. to A.D. And many times we go into Christmas and we just go through the motions. We just sort of like get it over. No. It's a time to celebrate. Celebrate God's incredible goodness. And you know what I challenge you to do? Is a takeaway application from the sermon. Have a party on your own. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors this Christmas season. And they say, well, why are we having this party? Say, it's a Christmas party, but it's not like other Christmas parties. There's no Santa here. It's for Jesus. Because my heart is just bursting with thankfulness because of what God has done for me and for us through him. We're just celebrating, celebrating his goodness. Amen? In a moment, we're going to take communion. 
And when we take communion, I'd like you to do it a little differently. When the bread and the cup are passed, I'd like you to hold it. And as you hold it, I would like you to worship from the bottom of your heart, celebrating God's goodness to you that we do not deserve the best gift that has ever been given. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for this fellowship offering and giving us, just helping us to know that we should be celebrating the goodness that you give us. And right now, we want to turn and celebrate the fact that you humbled yourself to take on a human body, to die in our place for our sins, incredible love that we do not deserve. And as we ponder what you have done, help us to celebrate. Celebrate the goodness that you give. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.